0: The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Whether you're listening from far away or next to beautiful Seneca Lake, we hope that through the reading and proclaiming of Scripture, you hear God's wisdom, challenge, and blessing for you today. If you're able to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 930 we at Hector Presbyterian Church would love to share Christ's peace with you. As we prepare to hear the scriptures, let us pray. Living God, speak a word that showers like rain, making the earth grow and blossom. Living Christ, Speak a word that sprouts like seeds, giving bread to the hungry. Living Spirit, speak your word within us, fulfilling your purpose for all creation. Amen. Our Gospel reading this morning comes from Matthew. Listen. We do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. When Jesus heard about John, he withdrew in a boat to a deserted place by himself. When the crowds learned this, they followed him on foot from the cities. When Jesus arrived and saw a large crowd, he had compassion for them and healed those who were sick. That evening, his disciples came and said to him, This is an isolated place, and it's getting late. Send the crowds away, so they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, There's no need to send them away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here except five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus said, Bring them here to me. Jesus ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves of bread and the two fish, looked up to heaven, blessed them, and broke the loaves apart and gave them to his disciples. Then the disciples gave them to the crowds. Everyone ate until they were full, and they filled twelve baskets with the leftovers. About five thousand families had eaten. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. (sighs) There's nothing to do. If you have lived among children, chances are good that you have heard this complaint raised in the dead of summer or on a rainy Saturday afternoon during the school year. Oh, there's nothing to do. Maybe you can remember speaking these words yourself. I certainly can, and I can remember, too. My parents' response, We'll find you something to do. There was always laundry to fold, weeds to pull, or toilets to clean. There was nothing to do except the things I didn't want to do. Now, it's acceptable to tease children complaining about boredom, but it does feel obnoxious to chastise adults who are genuinely concerned about scarcity. I can picture the Facebook post now, someone gunning for a gotcha. Jesus' disciples say they have nothing Nothing except five loaves and two fish sure sounds like something to me. Yeah, you're very clever, imaginary social media pundit. But honestly, five loaves of bread and two fish compared to 5,000-plus people is basically nothing. Serving crumbs to the crowd doesn't make a meal. So why bother? The disciples aren't alone in judging their offering as insufficient. My $50 donation to a friend of a friend who lost their home in a wildfire isn't going to build a new house. Turning off the lights in my home might lower my energy bill, but I don't imagine that I am keeping the sea levels from rising all that much. My voice as a constituent doesn't carry much weight in my elected representatives' ears, especially when people with cash to spend on a re-election campaign, are speaking louder. So why bother? Such is the sly logic of scarcity. Because my offering amounts to crumbs before a hungry crowd, I shouldn't try. I should just get out of the way, People who matter will solve the problem. Scarcity thinking tricks the mind to twist I don't have enough into I am not enough. As a powerless individual, I will look for powerful leadership to protect me By any means necessary. As a powerless individual, I will jealously guard my scraps of bread and dignity. And if someone speaks up about having a hard time, I'll ask, well, what about me? As a powerless individual, I won't pause to consider the possibility that. If I join my efforts with you, there might be power in numbers. Our crumbs might be indeed enough to fill a few rumbling bellies. I can identify with the disciples' frustration with their disappointment, with their despair at failing Jesus. We have nothing here, nothing except five loaves and two fish. We are not enough, not good enough to be your followers, Jesus, not resourceful enough to care for these thousands of people. friends if you could speak those words yourself, if you can feel the lump in your throat or the sinking sensation in your stomach, may these words of Jesus be a blessing for you. Bring them here to me. As in, bring your nothing Accept here to me. Bring your not enough here to me. Jesus says, I'll even take your empty hands. Bring them here to me so I can bless them. We can trust Jesus' words because Jesus knows what it feels like to be powerless, to be not enough. The news about John knocked the wind out of him. Go back to this chapter in Matthew and you will understand why Herod, the ruler of Galilee, had executed John the Baptist. John, whose mother Elizabeth welcomed the newly pregnant Mary into her home. John, who baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. John, thrown in prison shortly before Jesus began preaching the good news about God's kingdom. John, whose head now rested on a platter. Oh, God, the news sent Jesus reeling. Imagine having the power to multiply loaves for a hungry crowd, but feeling powerless to prevent the death of your cousin, your friend. No wonder Jesus climbed into a boat to sail away from the city. He needed to be alone to grieve. And he couldn't bear the thought of someone asking, Jesus, why didn't you do something? The apostle who penned the letter to the Hebrews, wrote that Jesus, God's Son, our Savior, was in the trenches of the human experience, tempted in every way that we are. When Jesus says, bring them here to me, bring your loaves and self-loathing, bring your fish and your finite resources. I trust him because he was tempted to give up. He was tempted, but then he saw the crowds. Jesus had compassion on the people who traveled on foot, to find him in that deserted and desperate place. He couldn't save John's life, but he could restore life's joy to these folks. He healed their sick, and in his hands, crumbs became a feast. This reminds me of the story of a soup kitchen hosted by an inner city church. Church members volunteered to run this ministry for homeless men and women in their neighborhood. They fed people. They ladled out steaming bowls of soup. They handed out bread a local supermarket chain had donated. It was all right, perhaps even enough. Some members, though, thought they could do more. Others ran the numbers and stated the obvious. There wasn't enough money to expand, and there weren't enough volunteers. I mean, the steadfast volunteers we're getting tired as it was. That's when that church stumbled across asset-based community development. A, B, C, D. That's the building blocks of the alphabet at a blueprint for promoting thriving communities. You see, whereas our culture trains us to look for problems, problems to solve, or problems to despair over, this philosophy, asset-based community development, retrains people to look for assets, like the skills of local residents or the local history of a community, or the power of local associations, or the potential of local places. Okay, Jesus, they said, take our not enoughness and bless it, break it open, and feed your children. And at Jesus' prompting, This church began to recognize that the homeless people they served weren't problems to solve. They were community assets with skills and knowledge. A man who used to be a line cook volunteered to help prep food. A woman who noticed that the church basement walls were rather drab, offered to help paint a mural. Over time, homeless women and men became co-leaders in this ministry, and people from all walks of life gathered there for a delicious meal and engaging conversation. In fact, the church stopped calling that ministry a soup kitchen. Now they call it a community kitchen because that is what Jesus is serving there. Jesus is multiplying relationships and dignity and bread. It's true that our world is hurting. It's true that our neighborhood needs love. And it's true that the enormity of the world's pain and the trickiness of local problems can overwhelm us. But defaulting to powerlessness? That would be very convenient for actors who want to reshape the planet or this precious corner of the Finger Lakes according to their interests. So, beloved, let us not give in to despair. Instead, let us bring our nothing except, our not enough and place it in Jesus's hands. Bring your hunger and your dreaming. Bring your anxiety and your anger. Place your empty hands in Jesus's own, for his hands are yearning to bless. Keep your hands ready and open, for Jesus will put in them the grace of God for us To pass along to our neighbors. For such grace, let us give all glory and gratitude to God, generous giver, gracious gift, glimpsed in our sharing. Amen.